the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 471, take two, <laughs> for Sunday, October 20th, 2013. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in tips, cool stuff found, and your questions. We endeavor to answer those questions, and we do our best at that, sharing your tips, Doing some cool stuff found like we did last week here from Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fearful, Connecticut, John F. Braun. John, you finally got your iPhone 5S. Yes. Which means you finally don't have an iPhone 4 anymore. Uh, that is correct. It is uh, in the mail and uh, uh, hopefully I'll get my uh, my Verizon bucks for it. So, yeah. So the 4 is gone and I'm a. Uh, Adapting to life with the 5S and, and a fine phone it is. Just in time for the uh, for the Apple announcement on Tuesday to convince you to finally get an iPad. <laughs> or um, maybe a Mac, maybe a refresh my MacBook Pro. Uh, yeah, I'm expecting that we'll see something like that. Uh, I am heading out there. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, I've stopped kvetching about travel for these uh, for these events, even though it, it's easy to kvetch about. Right. Because it's essentially a round trip to California in two days for me, which which kind of sucks. Uh, but uh, but I think I said this last year, but when I was heading out for the iPhone five event, I was up in the morning uh, as the kids were getting ready for school. I was getting ready to go to the airport and I was moaning about it. And my son, who at the time was 10, said to me, uh yeah, he says, uh, so how many people this thing you're going to tomorrow? He says, they're probably going to announce the iPhone 5, right? I said, yeah. He says, uh, how many people are going to be at this thing? I said, uh, about 200. He said, yeah. He says, you know how many people want to be at that thing? He said, I know the travel kind of sucks, but uh, but maybe, just maybe, uh, it's not so bad. And I said, yeah, you're right. He says, it's really cool what you get to do. So I said, yeah, that's cool. All right. So now I don't complain about it anymore. So off I go. But uh but you've got so let's talk briefly about that. And then, then I want to hear what briefly. you think about your, your five S, which we'll also talk about briefly. Um, that I think I don't think we're going to see a band that, you know, the, the wrist thing anytime soon from Apple. In fact, I'd be shocked at that. I talked to quite a few programmers, uh, developers recently, many of whom had gotten letters uh, from Apple emails from Apple um, inviting them to come. Uh, interview for positions there. And while there was no, uh, no discussion of what those positions might be, it, uh, the, the kind of the undercurrent is that those positions are for building the frameworks, i.e. The, the, the developer tools, if you will. And then also apps, internal apps, Apple branded apps for, uh, for this band. So I think we're, we're quite a ways off from seeing anything like that, but I do think we'll see an iPad, uh, an iPad five. I hope, hope we'll see a retina iPad mini, but I'm not quite so sure on that. And then, yeah, I, I, I think, I think we'll see an updated Apple TV based on those boxes that, that entered the country about a month and a half ago. And, um, and maybe hopefully the Mac pro will be released and possibly your, uh, your updated MacBook pro. <laughs> maybe aperture. <laughs> no, <laughs> It's it's like they've almost abandoned their uh, their pro apps, you know. Um, it makes me sad because I like Aperture. I, I still use Aperture, but uh, it's 
getting kind of long in the tooth there. It needs, uh, needs updating. So anyways, a few things about the five. So the one thing is that five S five S five S the five, five S. is now discontinued. Yes. Yeah. So the five S, which is what I have here. So I got the space gray, space gray, 32 gig, um, and the Apple case, which is a, a fine case. Uh, but the thing about this phone now is Dave, now I have a phone with a nano SIM in it. Right. Four that I had before was only CDMA though. I think it had the, the, uh, I think there was a place to put one in, but you know, it didn't make sense for that model. But, uh, this one now I have a nano SIM. So right. As far as I can tell Dave, um, if I'd like to put, uh, use another provider, because from what I hear, this phone is unlocked. I could buy a SIM from another provider. Yeah, it, it this is interesting, right? The the even though you're locked into a contract with Verizon, yes. uh you're the 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 SIM portion of your phone is unlocked in that you could replace your SIM which is a Verizon SIM which I think doesn't do much other than tell the phone go use the CDMA radios, right? Um right. and uh, and you could replace that say if if you like me, you know, when I traveled to Canada, I couldn't replace my SIM because my phone is locked to AT&T. So I couldn't just buy, you know, one of those, you know, $20 prepaid Rogers SIMs or something and use that. I had to buy AT&T data. Uh, whereas you could buy one of those $20 Rogers SIMs or whatever and, uh, and, and use that. So that's very interesting. Yeah. And I've looked around, I think T-Mobile, I could, I could use them. Yeah. Uh, but well, so in the U S in the U S right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I'll have to talk to these guys uh, because unfortunately, and I read they had a settlement with Verizon, um, whereas they won't prohibit you from tethering, but they still want to ding me 20 bucks extra a month if, to, to give me the permission to do so. Unless I can find an app that sneakily lets you do that. No, no app will but sneakily I, let you do it unless you jailbreak because you need root access to do that. Right. Well, I, I think I saw a mention of one app where if you typed in a magic, it, it slipped by Apple and they, they pulled it. Right. Oh, yeah. Years ago, there was a NetSpot or something like that. Yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, I was I was and actually I went, to, you know, to talk to there was a local uh, Sprint store and I was asking the guy and uh, and I don't think he had the right information because he was like, oh, no, no. You know, that that's a, only a CDMA phone. I'm like, well, no, no, I, I don't think so. And actually, you and I looked at the specs, Dave. And even though you have an A, so, so I think that there is a, what is it? The, it's the A1553 and they actually have two different models. There's a CDMA 15, model 15, and a GSM. 1533. I'm sorry, 1533. Yes. Right. And apparently there are two distinct models. There's a CDMA one and a GSM one. And it looks like the CDMA one, which is mine, does CDMA, but also does all the other bands. Right. Uh, if I put in the, the, the right chip. So, yeah, it's so I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, uh, Siri is a wonderful recognition. Having a lot of fun talking to her. Yeah, welcome to the club. Yeah, yeah. Silly, silly questions. Yeah, because the, the four only had the basic recognition that was uh, awful. Um, you know, I'm adapting to now all my 30 pin, uh, you know, uh, devices mm. now are, are not usable. Yeah. So I've been in that realm. I've been. Um, uh, you know, we, we have, we have, uh, what's the right way to say this over the years, I'd collected lots and lots of 30 pin adapters. So I never was without, but with the lightning stuff, it, I, I have some of those. I certainly have enough, but it's nice to have extras. So I can always leave one in my travel case or leave an extra one in my car or cause my car has USB ports in, in a lot of spots. So uh, I've been looking around and of course um, with iOS seven, it gets a little trickier because the phone 
or with 701 or whatever the update was, um, the phone will no longer accept a charge from a cables that are not Apple certified, meaning they have a, a chip in them that says, yes, Apple did this. So uh, right. I've been looking around and I've, I've bought and returned lots and lots of cheap uh, iPhone five uh, or lightning connector cables, but I did find some and I bought uh, five of them for 20 bucks. I believe it was at daily up D E A L Y U P.com. And I will, uh, I'm, I'm looking for a link. I'll put it in the show notes if I can find it, but it was, yeah, I bought five, three foot cables for, uh, for 20 bucks and then they've got 10, 10 foot cables, pretty cheap too. So, uh, okay. So, yeah. I was yeah. looking around and I think mono price has some for a pretty reasonable. Oh, really? Well, oh, I didn't even think of them. Yeah, I got an email from the other day. They said uh, they said they had a sale, and I think yeah, they have a. But like you said, yeah, you, you got to pay Apple and put the magic chip in there. Otherwise, it's not going to uh, it's not going to function. Right, right, um, right. But the good news now, so yeah, so I still have some exploring to do to find out what my options are for uh, different uh, nano sims. Yeah, it was a. Uh, yeah, um, and then now I have some toys, Dave, that I can use, and I'll just mention one here because it actually works. So. Uh, so I got, I got a sample of this at a show I went to recently, but I couldn't use it because uh, I noticed once I, you know, looked at my goodie bag, I'm like, oh, it's for the iPhone 5 and 5S. But this is a case, Dave, from Absolute Technology called Link Case. Okay. I get it right here. Link Case. And what is this, you may ask? And I'm going to tell you, Dave, it's a case that enhances Link, link Case. Yes. Okay. L-I-N-K-A-S-E. It's a case that enhances your Wi-Fi. And it works. So what it has is it actually has a little uh, uh, Wi-Fi um, uh, extender. And when you raise it, it absolutely uh, improves your Wi-Fi performance. I, I actually did an informal test upstairs in my house uh, using the iPhone itself. I scanned for uh, nearby base stations without the uh, antenna extended. And I could see maybe one when I extended it. I saw like 10. Really? So, so they're doing something. So I think they're mutual inductance or whatever the heck, but they're, 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 ta they're taking their antenna and I think somehow bonding it to the antenna that's already in there. And it just makes it a lot better. How do they? Oh yeah, I guess they could. Yeah. So who makes this case? Do you have a link for it that you can give us here? Yes. Yeah. I'll, I'll put it in the room here. So it's uh, absolute. Yeah. So uh, absolute.com.tw, I guess they're in Taiwan. Um, yeah, it comes in different colors, comes with an extra antenna extender, but it absolutely uh, uh, helps out. So, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. I like that. That's good. So, yeah, that's oh, funny. right. Yeah. A little, yeah. little pun there. Huh. That's pretty cool. Interesting. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Oh. And I'll try some other toys. The, 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 the one I didn't have so much fun with was, uh, yeah, I think I, I tossed one of these to you. Uh, uh, there's a lot of these Bluetooth uh, fobs now that'll you know tell you when... Uh, whatever you have it attached to gets too far away from you. And unfortunately mm -hmm. the one that I had now I can download the software and run it is apparently it's not ready for iOS seven because the uh, software uh, crashed. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure that out from them. But yeah, I've seen a few people come out with these things that tell you whatever the, the and it uses the, the Bluetooth low energy, which is why it didn't work with the four. I'm looking forward to checking some of those things out. But cool. um, so that's about it. So yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm getting with it, man. I'm, I'm getting the latest, latest hardware. You know, I know. I think the uh, 
I think the next is going to be the MacBook and then maybe uh, an airport because we have an airport question coming up, but I couldn't really address it because my time capsule. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, I, uh, wouldn't, I, wouldn't buy another, support. I wouldn't buy another time capsule. Waste of money, if you ask me. It's, uh, it's oh well, I'm I'm not using I'm not using it I'm I'm not using the disk capability at all anymore. Right. I've, I've uh, you right. know transferred that to either the uh, Synology or or the Drobo. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not and actually I should pull the drive out of there and maybe toss it into one or one or one or the other. But yeah, no, I'll I'll just get the Airport Extreme. I guess the the AC version. I've heard uh, yeah. a lot of people like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. Uh, all right, uh, let's see, Alex has a uh, a tip for us. We'll start out with a couple of tips. We'll see we'll see if we can blow through a couple of these here. Um Alex says uh I'm disappointed that iTunes 11.1 seems to have taken away the ability to play a single podcast. A little Google searching got me nowhere except frustrated. There are a number of suggested workarounds with turning on shuffle, single item playlist, external playback, and even some Apple script hacks, but they all seem kludgy. A relatively sane Apple script solution appeared apparent or seemed apparent to me. Wait for the next track to write for the track to change, then pause. So I put it together, saved it as an app and it works perfectly. Uh, I, it, and I've put up a link. So Alex, uh, Alex put this at his own website and it's a very, very simple Apple script that does exactly what he just said. It waits for the track to change and then presses pause. And, uh, and it's actually really, really smart. It doesn't it, it what it, it with Apple script. There's certain uh, things that you can sense. And what he's sensing is the name of the current track. And so he's just constantly sensing that. And when the name of the current track suddenly becomes a different name, he tells iTunes to pause. And that's that. So really, really straightforward. You can see it right there in the Apple script. And, uh, and of course we'll put that in the show notes. So yeah, thank you, Alex. Good stuff. I love it when, uh, not only when you folks send in tips, but when they're tips that you've created on your own, it's so cool. It's so cool. I like it. Well, we have to thank Apple for creating this opportunity by. That's right. When would Alex have up so many things in the latest iTunes? That's right. Without, without Apple's assistance, Alex would never have had the opportunity to, to, to try out his Apple script skills. Yeah. Sure. All right. Uh, tip number two, Jerry says, uh, overall, I've appreciated the new functionality and features of Mountline over the last year. There was one small item, however, that I thought was a step backwards. Previously, when you executed a spotlight search, you would see a small magnifying glass next to each file hit on the search that would allow you to view the file in the finder. This came in handy when you couldn't remember where you filed something. In Mountain Lion, this functionality seemed to have disappeared. You may have covered this tip already, but I just discovered it. After executing a search, a preview window will appear if you hold your mouse over an entry. If you move your mouse to the preview window and hit the command key and then the file name will the, then and hit the command key, then the file name will appear at the bottom of the preview window. If you hit command and option, then the file name converts to the path. If you click on any search item while holding command, then you are taken to a finder, finder window showing the file. So I don't know how you stumbled onto that, Jerry, but that's good stuff. So command and option in spotlight results will yield lots and lots of, uh, of different great information and, and bring you places. Wow. I know. Yeah. I knew about one of those. I knew about one of them to get the, uh, the, the, the path or, or the location, but I didn't know that there were. Yeah. I, I, know. I didn't know the, the, the multi-key one. I, did, I didn't know about that. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It's good. It's good. Uh, all right. And then this next one, I don't seem. Oh, I do have because it's an audio comment. No wonder I don't have it right here. Take it away, James. I think. Come Greetings, on. Greetings, John and Dave, or Dave and John and John and Dave and Pilot Peter, whatever. Um, latest episode of The Cool Stuff Found. Dave, you were up in Canada and you wanted to save data while using maps. Um, you had said that there's no obvious way to get maps kind of cached or anything like that um, using the Apple Maps feature. And you are correct. There's no obvious way. But one method that you can use, which somebody else may have already pointed out, is that if you do have a data connection and you open the Maps application, zoom to a comfortable viewing angle of the maps that you're looking at and pan around for a few minutes, uh, getting as much of the city that you plan and walking around as possible. And the application, as long as you don't close the app in the multi-application switcher feature of iOS, um, it will store that as vector data, which is very small, and it will save it on your phone, and it will be awesome because you can then pull your phone out. And even in airplane mode, it'll just complain that you can't get accurate GPS location, for example, but it should still allow you to see where on the map you are and get general directions without doing an actual search. Very handy feature. I've used it many times when I visited uh, Vancouver, B.C. So enjoy. Uh, my name is James, in case you want to put that on the show, and you can cut me off here. All right. And uh, and cut off you are. So that's, yeah, that that's actually really good to know. And I'm glad that not only did you uh, test this out in theory, you tested out and tested it out in practice uh, going to Vancouver. I, I that would still make me nervous because it sounds like there's a lot of criteria. If in fact you launch too many other apps and uh, and then the maps app is ejected from Ram, what happens then? Right. You know, uh, it, for my money, I'd still rather use Navigon or, or really any one of I think you can even get a, a single day use uh, Garmin uh, license for pretty cheap. And that uh, would also help. The poor man solution, I would do exactly what James suggests. And on top of that, I would take screenshots of the areas where you're going to be when you have that open in the Maps app. So at the very least, if you just if the, if the, if something happens, at least you've got the, those pictures in your uh, in your in your camera roll. So, yeah, that's good stuff, James. Thank you. Excellent. John, I had the any thoughts on that before we move to the. The next thing and the next thing and the next thing and all that. No, I'll have to uh, try it out next time I uh, go for a stroll. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I've had, uh, I've actually had this sitting here for a while, but finally this week I spent some time with the Drobo 5N, uh, which is Drobo's new network attached storage device. Uh I had John and I have both talked about the Drobo FS. So people listening to the show, even I think even in the last six months, we've talked about it uh, quite a bit. And, and in many ways, uh, it'll be no surprise to hear that we were, you know, somewhat disappointed with the FS. It promised a lot and delivered not quite uh, everything that it promised. So I was very happy that the 5N uh, works in so many ways, uh, better than the FS and just delivers it as a standalone product, you know, forget about comparing it to the FS. It, uh, it, 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 uh, it does what you would expect it to do. So Drobo made their name on simple multi-disc storage. Initially it was only direct attached storage, right? And they still do have the, the direct attached Drobo. It's the five D um, for consumers and it's got, and like the five N the five D has 
five bays where you can put in discs. And the great part about Drobo is they pioneered this whole concept of having different sized discs inside one RAID array. That may not even seem like a big deal to you. And if it doesn't, you actually have Drobo to thank for, for bringing that to market. Because prior to that, if you wanted to have multiple discs in one array or one box, they all had to be the same size all the time. And that's a big pain in the neck for what I'm going to consider, consider consumers like us, right? If you want to have multiple discs, it's probably because you've got some extra discs lying around and you want to be able to put them in. If you're doing this at a, you know, a big facility or something, buying discs of all the same size is no big deal. But for those of us at home, you just kind of want to be able to put different size discs in and, and let it work. And it will. And it uh, the Drobo automatically makes it fault tolerant. Uh, one disc fault tolerant by default. You can change that to two, uh, which means that if one disc fails, you a don't lose access to your data and B don't lose data. Uh, you do need to replace the discs. Otherwise, if a second one fails and you're only in one disc fault tolerance, well, then you will lose data. But uh, but Drobo now, calls. Go, be, go ahead. No, just to be clear, uh, what you said um, to crystallize it or no, but you said that you have to have the same size this. And I think you no, don't necessarily you don't. have to. But what happens is the space is wasted. And then no, no. I think the lowest common denominator. Well, no, in typical raid is that. Oh, it's in so typical. Like it, a, I, I, OK, I thought you were saying in Drobo in typical raid. That's right. You could have four one terabyte disks and one ter one two terabyte disk. But the two terabyte disk would only be seen. The only the first terabyte of it would be seen by the raid unit until the rest of and the so discs were all two terabytes. That's right. So that's the downside of traditional raid is that, yeah, again, you're, you're locked to the smallest disc and yeah, you can waste space, which is a waste, which is a waste. <laughs> yeah. It's a drag. Yeah. So, so Drobo made this really easy. Um, and their direct attached stuff has always been impressive. The, like I said, their first foray into the network realm uh, came at a weird time for the company. I think they were going through a lot of internal change. And so they rolled out this product and then really didn't have the resources to support it and do what they plan to do with it. So, uh, the, like I said, the five in is a welcome change for those of you that have heard us complain or have used an FS. I, what I will say in comparison, uh, is that it mounts much, much faster than uh, than the FS ever did. Um, it's still it's still about an uh, seven to ten second lag when you're mounting discs, which I'm still not sure why that would be the case, but it's not a 45 second lag. So it's it's totally livable. Uh, and then once processor, the, I guess. Yeah, it could be the processor, although I never saw the processor on the FS spike when uh, when I was mounting. I don't know what it was. Um, the Drobo share was the same way, which was sort of their um, box in the middle that let you. But whatever. Yeah, it's fine. It's solved now. Um, nobody's going to be buying an FS anyway. So uh, unless you have one, you're, you're not going to you're not going to wind up with one. Uh, but the, yeah, the five end mounts. And then uh, when once it's mounted, navigating through it, I I have. Uh, uh, and I put this on my 5N, my whole directory of iTunes music, loading that directory. There's about 2000 artist entries loading that directory. The first time takes about 30 seconds on the uh, on the 5N, but then navigating around it, going d down in and up and back and out. It it's lickety split. So it, it, it works great. Copying things to the 5N. I was very impressed. Uh, I was getting I wasn't quite soaking up my gigabit Ethernet. Um, but I was close. I was at about 90 megabytes a second. 
uh, which is pretty darn good. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, now, I mean, with 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 my Synology, with my 1513, with the, the, the Synology I have now, I was doing I can do about 110 is uh, is is what I do with that, which does soak up the you know, that does soak up the gigabit. And there could, there's a lot of reasons that it that that unrelated to the Drobo that this might not have soaked up that 90 or this not have soaked up the whole thing. But but my previous the, the 412 um, Synology, I rarely did better than 50 and that was with exactly the same disks in it. So RAM, I think, makes more of a difference than CPU because the 412 and the, 5, the 1513 have the same CPU, as does yours. But the Drobo only has one gig of RAM. Uh, the 5N does. So, um, but, so it, it works. It's, uh, it, it, and that's my finding. They, I don't think they've published specs on it, but uh, if you put an SSH server on it, you can go in and you can see what, what's going on, which I did, and I'll get to that in a minute. Um, so, um, where do I want to go with this? Yeah. So like, like I said, it, 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 as far as a network drive goes, it works. It's totally simple to set up. Um, and they've added some things to it. They, they have uh, built in now to the Drobo dashboard, which is the app that you use to manage it. They've added the ability for you to install Drobo apps. And to me, that's the best part about having a NAS drive is being able to um, being able to, to do things with it because it's this, like I said, it's this thing. It's got a, a four core, a quad core ARM processor in it and a gig of RAM. It doesn't need to just serve files to the finder. What else can it do? So Drobo has four apps. Now, more may be coming and there's ways of installing others, although it doesn't it's not easy, uh, but they got four apps. The first that they put on there was called Plex. Uh, Plex is a media server and it's actually awesome. It's the thing that I have it installed on the Synology. I have it installed on all our iPads and everything. And it's the thing that like today, before I go on a trip, I can copy a movie from my Plex server to my iPad. I can do it remotely. I, like I could do it from the hotel room in San Francisco. Uh, tomorrow night, I can just beam stuff directly over. Uh, it works great. And you can do it with music, too. But but I think most of us use it for movies. And it works very, very well. Uh, it does require that the server, i.e. the Drobo in this case, or the Synology, does the conversion of that movie to whatever format uh, your iPad would want. But it's nice because it does it and you don't have to think about it. Um, Speed-wise, so my uh, the Drobo kept up fine it was doing plex has a speed uh and i think it's the the it's a it's a multiple of how of uh of the size of the uh it's a multiple of of the the movie length so if it's converting at one x then that means it's converting at the it will if it, a two-hour movie would take two hours to convert if it's converting at two x a two-hour movie would take one hour to convert if it's converting at half x a two hour movie would take four hours to convert. So for the movie that I tested on the Drobo five in, it did about four to four and a half X. So not bad. Um, that's this with a quad core arm processor. I don't know the speed um, for as in comparison, the process that we have in our Synology units, John does about six X, which is a dual core Intel processor running. I think at about two gigahertz, um, but the arm stuff's a little slower kind of internally anyway, uh, at least for that. So that it makes sense, but you know, four to four and a half X plenty fast. If you need to stream a movie live and, uh, and if you're syncing it to your iPad, well then it doesn't matter. Cause you, 
just waiting for it to happen. So, um, so that's the first app. And then they have three others that they put on there. One is transmission, which is a BitTorrent client. So you can actually throw your BitTorrent URLs at this thing or magnet URLs, and then it will download to itself, which is kind of cool, uh, depending on what you're BitTorrenting. And then they have two others. One's called Elephant Drive, and one is called uh, Copy, uh, copy.com. These are both, I'm going to call them, uh, well, they're online backups slash file syncing services. They're cloud cloud storage services is what they are. And uh, they both operate in slightly different ways. But by and large, it's a way for the data on your Drobo to get backed up to the cloud. And then you to access that cloud data, not only from your Drobo if you need it, but also from like an iPad or your Mac or your Windows machine or whatever. Um, but those are the only four apps that come with it. I would expect that we, because Drobo and connected data have merged uh, at some point down the road, and I don't know when this is coming, but uh, it stands to reason that the whole transporter software thing would be able to, you know, be loaded on Drobo and Drobo and you could do private cloud there. Uh, so I, but I, but that doesn't exist right now, but I think it would be coming. However, if you want to get geeky and I mean really geeky, you can visit DroboPorts.com. Listener Mark pointed this out to me. There are, there is a very, it's a community. It's a small community, but it's, it's, you know, active uh, developing apps for the Drobo 5N. And you can install these. In fact, I went through the process and installed CrashPlan on my Drobo 5N. And as an aside, John, I also installed CrashPlan on my Drobo FS the other day because it's available. That's available at DroboPorts too. Um, and it seems to work, well, we'll see how, we'll see if it's stable on the FS. Um, uh, but, uh, but it, it works. It, it took a lot of doing. I had to first install an SSH client and you've got to kind of jury rig it to get that in there. And then once I had SSH, I had to install two or three de library dependencies and then a Java. And then finally I was able to put uh crash plan on the, on the five end. It took me about an hour, but I knew exactly what I was doing. Uh, and so, you know, your mileage may vary. You may be able to do it in a half hour. Uh, it may also take you four hours. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, but it's a very geeky thing involves a lot of command line stuff. Uh, it would be nice if they had a graphical interface for it. Like Synology does. I mean, Synology has got hundreds of packages available, not just their own. They've probably got a hundred of their, well, maybe 50 of their own and then hundreds of, of others. So if you're, if you're after apps, Synology still is, is the, the way to go without question. And it's easier on Synology too. Not only are there more, but it's easier there. Um, but, uh, but it is doable on the Drobo, which again, gives us a little hope. I'm, I'm because of what happened with the FS where they promised all these apps and nothing happened. I'm a little hesitant to uh, I'm, I'm proceeding with caution, cautious optimism. So we'll see, we'll see where it goes. This, this device really uh, intrigues me. I'm still a little con confused about the whole concept of of not NAS for the novice, because I, I don't think there's a Venn diagram where those two groups coexist. NAS people that want network drives and then people that are novices that don't want to think about more than that. I think, as I've said before, I think once you buy a network drive, you are no longer a novice. Uh, I think that is the thing that defines you there. But uh, but we'll see. Maybe, you know, it's it's interesting to me. So we'll see where that goes. Any questions about the five engine? Well, I think he answered it. The, uh, the you know the one I had is, is you know the the promise of apps. 
and that uh yeah i mean you know i tried the apps that were available for the fs it's just there really weren't a lot of them <laughs> and i don't know if it, and and it seems they didn't really build a community to encourage it. And I looked at the page on the five N and they actually have a link saying, Hey, email us if you want to be a app developer for, yeah. uh, for Drobo. Yeah. So, uh, so no, hopefully they can, uh, like I said, there's invigorate hope a developer community. Yeah. 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 And it's close enough. The thing is it, the, the process of, of making these apps work is quite similar to the way that it is for say Synology. I mean, it's, it's just a Linux box. So you, you just need to compile things and then assemble them in a way that, that the, that the box is going to understand in a, in a simple way for the user. Um, so, you know, this whole packaging process does uh, make sense here. They just need to, they need to make it so that you as the user don't ever have to go to the command line of the box to install some third party app um, and get it right. You know, I mean, you can and but but the thing is, like, if you don't want to go to the command line, you've got to drag the app into the right. You can't do it in their normal user interface. You have to drag the app into the right folder on your Drobo, which means you need to log in in the finder as the administrator. And you drag the app in and then you have to reboot the whole device to get it to see that app. The only way around that is to go to the command line and sort of force a reload of of the the apps and get it to see this. And, you know, it's a little Here's here's where it gets funky, right? Out of the box, the Drobo is much, without question, easier to set up than the Synology, right? Because you just basically set it up and, and go. Synology requires a little bit more intention, I will say, to get going. But once you're going, if you want to do more stuff, the Synology is way easier. So there's this weird disconnect that, you know, the Drobo is easy until you want to do anything other than share files. And then suddenly it becomes this massively geeky thing that you basically have to either go to the command line or really, truly understand what's going on under the hood. So, but, but that may change. I mean, they, you know, this company's sort of rebuilding itself and coming back from, from, I won't say the ashes, but yeah, I will. It's coming back from the ashes. <laughs> no, but that's a good thing, right? With Jeff Barrell back there and the, and the right team back there, there there's hope, but uh, you know, cautious optimism from me. Mm. So, yeah, it's good. It's good. Anything else, John? Uh, maybe I'll get one. Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I do have a QNAP box. Yet another NAS vendor to uh, to check out once I'm back from California. So we'll we'll get through all these. We'll we'll become uh, well versed in in all of them and. Uh, but uh, my my one hesitation with the QNAP, and I was happy. This may change is that they don't allow you to use multiple size drives yet, and and the yet comes with a question mark because I don't know if that will ever change, but I think it might. So that's sort of my mm. hesitation on that. It's like yeah, it could be the coolest thing in the world, but I don't know. We'll see. I'll mess with it. Right now, the, the, as far as NAS drives go, the Synology is still my favorite because it delivers on everything in an easy way. So. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Time to answer some questions, John. Why not? Okay. Andy asks, he says, I am a happy owner of a new iPhone 5S and I love it. I also love the ability in the camera to take slow motion videos. I've created many great slow-mo movies, which all sit in my iPhone 5S camera roll, but I am unable to share them. 
If I try to share a slow-mo movie to Facebook or Twitter, the movie changes to a regular non-slow-mo movie. Even if I move the slow-mo movie into iMovie on the iPhone, the movie gets converted back to a regular type of movie. I can't figure out how to use this to get, uh, use this uh, new function of the iPhone. Uh, what good is making a slow-mo movie if it can only be viewed in your iPhone's camera roll? Am I missing something here? No, you're not missing something. This is just one of those things where Apple didn't quite flush out the, uh, the ecosystem to match the device. And perhaps Tuesday we will see something from that ecosystem. I also think that, you know, we'll get a release date for Mavericks uh, because we've seen that the GM has been out for quite a while. Right. So, uh, so hopefully that's coming too. And maybe along with that, there'll be something on the Mac that lets you, you know, extract these in a way. However, Serenity Caldwell over at Macworld.com published an article with uh, some do-it-yourself instructions on how to do this. And we will most certainly put that in the show notes uh, because it, uh, it will get us at least somewhere. Um, the, uh, but I think I found an app that works even better. Uh, it's called True Slow Mo, T-R-U-S-L-O-M-O. And we'll put this link in the show notes too. And True Slow Mo is free uh, and it will allow you to um to to do this it it takes your movie it turns it it takes your slow-mo movie it turns it into an exportable movie and uh and off you go it works so that's that uh so i put that app on my iphone and now i don't have to think about it i just you know true slow-mo good to go so hopefully that helps you too andy maybe you need that john yeah no, I noticed that uh, that's an option now in the camera mm-hmm. where it wasn't before. Nope. Because I guess my I guess the four just doesn't have the uh, horsepower or ability to do that. Yeah, it's a whole different thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, and the five doesn't even have it. It's it's just I mean it's the hardware, oh. right? The camera the camera can can take video at 120 frames a second in the five S. That's how this is possible. So when you put it in slow mo mode, that's exactly what it does. And then you get to pick a section of the movie that you slow down and then it creates effectively, a, you know, 30 frames a second movie where there's some portion that just has more frames. And so it slows it down. Wow. Now I got to figure something I want to make a slow-mo video of. Yes. That's the next trick. Yeah. <laughs> I also like, I'm actually curious to see how you wind up liking the camera in the five S because, uh, I, I've well, I mean, just for regular still pictures, I found it better than even the five. And of course, it's, that blows away your four. Uh, but uh, where it gets interesting is that burst mode, right, where uh, where you really can take a, 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 you know, whatever. I think it's taken them at like 30 frames a second or 30 pictures a second or something. And then mm-hmm. you get to go in and pick the ones of those you want and then discard the rest. Actually works pretty well. Yeah, I, t- I took. I took so, a, a few pictures in a low light situation and I wasn't, I didn't see a notable difference, but then I didn't turn on the flash. Maybe I should have turned on the flash because uh, typically I, I don't like using flash because it typically ruins most pictures, no matter what camera you have. Unless now, you have a diffuser or something like that, but I, I didn't choose the option, but I did take some pictures, uh, you know, of food because, you know, what else do you take pictures of right. share with people on Instagram? That's right. <laughs> they were okay. I mean, pe- people saw them, but you know, they had a little tinge to them or maybe, maybe I should have done some post-processing, but they, they had kind of a yellow 
you know, it looks like the white balance uh, wasn't quite right. So did you turn on HDR in your, uh, no, maybe okay. I should have done that. You, that that could have helped because actually, I, I you know, I did take a picture the other day and I noticed HDR helped. It was actually before a Simpsons episode. OK. And I took a picture with my iPhone camera and it was what happened is it was a couple of Sundays ago. And apparently the, the feed was screwed up for everyone because multiple people told me they saw this. But I saw a test pattern. Sure. On the screen, you know, with the, actually, you know, a, a 16 by nine and four by it was like. Wow, that's wow. Somebody's going to get fired. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> when I, I took a picture of it with the normal camera on the iPhone uh, in normal mode, the yellow in the test pattern did not get captured properly. But when I did an HDR picture, it did capture the yellow in the test pattern. I, so, so I, I take so maybe almost I should have done HDR. I take almost every and this has been true for several generations of iPhone for me, but I take almost every picture I take with HDR on Um it doesn't overdo it. It's not uh, most of the time, I should say. It doesn't overdo right, it. Right. Uh, it it really just enhances the picture. It's not it, it it's not HDR in the classic sense where you're getting this you know massively um, affected picture. You just get a better picture with with HDR, and, and so I I just leave it on all the time. Uh, in fact, I've I've now gone into and I didn't do this for a while because I didn't trust it. But if you go into settings. Uh, and then photos and camera on your iPhone, you can turn on or off whether or not you will keep the non HDR version of the photos that you take. So it would take, it takes two and then well, actually it takes three, right. For HDR. Right. And it would keep and then it pushes the, them together. Right. It would keep. Yeah. Well, it, it pushes them together for the HDR photo, but it would also yeah. keep the regular one uh, in, in your, in your role. I don't do that anymore. Uh, because the regular one was never for me as good as the HDR one. Right, right. It's a very mild okay. HDR thing. So try that out. Yeah, you might you might find it. Uh, it becomes your default on on the iPhone anyway. Yeah. Okay, hey, I want to tell you about our first sponsor, John. It is Barebones software at barebones dot com. Barebones makes two things. They make Yojimbo, which uh, we've been talking about recently, and they make BB Edit, which we've been talking about for a long time. Uh, BB Edit is absolutely, uh, hands down, my favorite text editor. It is something, not only do I have it installed on all of my Macs, but it is a rare moment that it is not actively running on my Macs, ready and waiting for me. Uh, there's a couple reasons for that. Number one. I open up lots of files in it uh, because I'm I'm editing little text files sometimes uh, on our, you know, on our servers, sometimes locally. Uh, and I always want to have it at the ready. And the cool part about that particular aspect is whether the file lives on the server and I'm accessing it via FTP or the file lives locally here. It makes no difference. I go in, I make an edit to the file. I hit save. And it saves it to wherever it was. That means if it's local, obviously it just saves it on my disk. If it's on an FTP server somewhere, it in the background goes and does this whole file transfer operation. What that means is if you have a website or something where you host it and you have to access like a DreamHost website or something like that, where you're accessing files via FTP, BB Edit can do that all inside BB Edit. You don't need a separate client to download the file, edit it, and then upload BB edit just makes it all happen inside. So that's step one. Number two, the reason I leave it running in the background all the time is I use it all the time. Uh, it's often that I pop open a window, paste in some text from somewhere else, and then I can sort that text. I can get a word count on that text. Um, 
it it just makes life simple. You'd be surprised at all the things that you might wind up doing with just, quote unquote, just a text editor. Of course, if you're doing any programming, which is where BB Edit really shines, uh, then you get the ability to see uh, it formats your code on the screen, uh, giving it color highlights. It uh, finds where functions are, it figures out what language you're typing in, and then will highlight those functions, even allowing you to collapse functions or expand functions. Uh, doesn't change your text file at all, unless you make edits to the functions, of course. It just does this on the screen. So really, really full powered. And, uh, and it's only 50 bucks. So you can go to barebones.com to download a trial version. And then when you're ready to buy, you can buy it from barebones.com or you can buy it in the app store. And, uh, and then once you, once you have it, you can, uh, you can actually install the, what they call the command line tools, which allow you to invoke BB edit from the terminal. If you are so inclined. So you geeks out there, instead of using say VI or nano or Emacs, you type BB edit at the terminal and it opens up your, whatever the file you type next, it opens up in BB edit and you get the full edit. And when you hit save, it saves it right back there in the, uh, you know, wherever on your disc or wherever you were. So check it out. BB edit from barebones.com and, uh, and let them know we sent you because, uh, cause that's good for them. It's good for you and it's good for us. All right, John, you want to tell us about Sam? I'm going to tell you about Sam. Go. He's got a great question. And Sam writes, I was listening today to Mac Geek Ab Show 469, where you guys were talking about the hot file management system that the Mac runs behind the scenes in order to defrag the hard disk drive. You also mentioned that we should not do this if we have an SSD. So here's my question. I've installed an SSD drive in my MacBook Pro, mid-2010, 15-inch, and I'm running Mountain Lion. I did not buy the SSD from Apple. Instead, I bought it from MacSales.com and then installed it myself. As it is not from Apple, do you think that the hot file management system may still be running in the background, thinking that I have a regular hard disk drive instead, and thereby messing up my SSD? How can I check this? And I'm going to tell you how to check this, Sam. So if you don't know where to look, yeah, it's a, <laughs> this is a needle in a haystack here. And it's a great so question, we, right? Because previously, it, with a rotational drive, Sam would have expected the computer to be doing this hot file management. So why would the computer just suddenly change? It's a, it's a, it's a great question. It's a great question. And I think at the advent of SSDs, Dave, I do believe that you had to hack the system to convince uh, the OS that a non-Apple SSD was in fact an SSD. You may be right about that. So I think that's, uh, so, so that I think there's a good question in, in the, in the past. Yeah. You had to get an Apple SSD for the OS to, to recognize it. It was an SSD, but how do you find out what type of media the OS thinks there is? And I'm going to tell you, so you can run system information. Now there's a few ways to go get that you can either you know just launch it from spotlight which is what i typically do or the other way to get to it dave is you go to the uh, apple menu about this mac more info and then system report you will then see can i can i give you uh, one uh, one other way to get there because I, I i like the, the oh sure way. i know there's yeah if instead of just going straight to the apple menu if you go to the apple menu and push down the option key the about this Mac changes to system information uh, and it shortcuts you right there. Yavel. Wow. I love that. Oh yeah. It changes live. Bonus. But tips. once you're in system, in, 
Yeah. Once you're in system information, you then look in the hardware category and then click on storage. And then there's going to be a physical drive category, or at least the machine I'm looking at here. And within that, you will see medium type. Now, in my case, it says rotational. Because I have a rotational driver. I have the Momentus XT, which is, you know, a, a hybrid, but it's still, as far as the OS is concerned, it's a rotational drive. The other thing you may see there, Dave, and you, because I don't, I'm currently not running any SSDs, but I think medium type, it'll say SSD if it's an SSD, right? Right. It, it'll say solid state. That's right. Or it says solid state. Yeah. So that's, you know, I thought there was a place in disutility where you could also get this info, but apparently this is the only, this is the only place I know that you can always find that info. I, th- I thought there was another, but I, I, I don't think there is. So that's where you got to look to see what the OS thinks it is. And uh, hopefully uh, I, I haven't heard of cases where it misidentifies the drive. I, I suppose it's possible. I, I would say it's up to the drive uh, to advertise itself properly. I mean, that that's the, the OS is trusting that what the drive says is true. Now, in your case, this is interesting because uh, is your drive, I guess your drive is using the, uh, you've got that hybrid drive. So it advertises itself as a rotational drive. I'm not convinced that it should. Right. Because, it, well, the it, thing is, it's not an SSD in the sense that I, well, they have something that I think they say is SSD like and that it's a very large yep. RAM buffer, a very fast, very large RAM buffer. Yep. Um, so it operates uh, different from a large cache. So so it does it, I think, better. And the performance of this, uh, I would say, is between that of an SSD and a rotational drive. Yeah. And that it's yeah, it kind of falls between it. But no, I think it should, because the thing is, I, I don't think it should. Or, no, I think it should be trying to do that hot file management because underneath it, it is a rotational drive. You know, it has a platter. It's a physical drive. It just has a big, big memory buffer. Yeah, but is doing that's, that hot file management going to wind up moving things to the the SSD cache when it shouldn't be right? Because the OS doesn't. I mean, my, my guess is the answer there is yes, that it, in some capacity it is, you know, kind of fighting with itself. But I don't know. Um, I would hope that the folks at Seagate would have. Uh, I'll, I'll ask them that. That's a good question. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You the know, other thing is I, I don't know how to tell when the drive is performing this operation. I don't know if it's a process that, that you'll see running. So yeah, we may have to research. Uh, solve that. No, I'll talk to the. Uh, I'll yeah. talk to my buddies over at uh, Seagate. And say what they have to say about that. Another thing to uh, to look into and uh, Raptor in the chat room, and I'll say hello to everybody at macgeekab.com slash stream. Thank you for joining us this morning uh, or this afternoon, whatever time it is for you. Suggested installing Trim Enabler. Now, when you get a drive from an SSD drive from Apple. This functionality already exists. And, and what it is, is uh, with the SSD, with a traditional drive, if you're going to overwrite a file uh, or overwrite the spot where a file used to be, that can be done in one operation. OK, you just say, I want to write to that block and it writes on it. It doesn't matter what was there before. With an SSD, though, you can't do that. It's a two step operation. Step one is wipe out what was there before. And then step two is put new data there. So in order to make it more efficient over time, 
there is this thing that SSDs do that in the background, when you're not doing anything, they go through and wipe out the blocks that have been marked as usable. And that way, when it is time for you to write to them, there is no step two. You just write to them because step one's already been done. Uh, so, and that, that technology is called trim T R I M. It happens automatically. As I said, if you have a built in from the factory, Apple SSD, but if you don't, it may or may not happen. And there's a piece of software called trim enabler. And we'll put a link in the show notes uh, that you can install to force this behavior to happen on your third party SSD. Now, your third party SSD need this is a function of the drive hardware itself. The OS simply tells the drive, hey, now is a good time if you need to do this. So the drive needs to support it uh, and you need to check with the manufacturer to ensure that the drive that you bought supports it. And most of them, but not all of them do, especially some of the older ones. But uh, but it, it, it will make your SSD experience faster. So uh, so go check this out. Trim enabler. There you go. That's what I was thinking of. Okay. The trim support. And actually, yeah, I found a place where you can actually see the trim support. That's also available in system information. Right. And I think you actually have to click on the SATA category, not the storage category, though maybe it shows up in both. In my case, I don't see it because it's a rotational drive, so it just doesn't show it. Doesn't, it doesn't, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was the thing is, yeah, non-Apple SSDs, a lot of times you, yeah, well, like we said, you got to hack it to get yep. it to do trim, and trim will make you run... It'll make it run better. Yep. And, and this, there's, there's a paid and free version of trim enabler. The free version will do what you need it to do and enable trim. The paid version actually adds some other features and some diagnostics that for 10 bucks, you probably are going to want to get anyway, but, uh, but you certainly can do it for free. So, so there you go. All right. Yeah. Mike. Well, I, oh, go ahead. No, I see a final, uh, no, I just want to mention a final comment. So someone in the uh, chat room mentioned this uh, saying OWC does not recommend using it. So I, I guess I'd be well, careful there's a, there's about a it because it's, it's kind of a hack. And I think sometimes the, the drive firmware, depending on how good the firmware is, it may do its own trim operation w- without having to enable the trim command. Yeah, it's not trim. It's its own thing. And, and some drives do it because they know that the OS doesn't support this with third party drives and OWC mm-hmm. is one of them. Um, it's not as efficient as trim, but it's pretty close. But again, as I said, you want to check with the specs of your drive and and with the manufacturer, uh, to make sure that, that you don't enable this on some drive that, that it should not be enabled on. And I agree that, um, OWC says, uh, says don't use trim. So Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Good, good catch. All right. Uh, let's see what Mike has to say. Hey, John and Dave. I'm Mike, and I have a question. Uh, This will be a good one for you. Uh, I have an issue with uh, CrashPlan backing up to my network drive. Um, I use my MacBook as a school computer and a home computer at the same time, so when I take it to school, I'm always switching it to the school network, so obviously it disconnects from my network drive at home. And... Uh, when I get home, uh, I actually have to go through and manually connect my network drive uh, via Finder, so uh, CrashPlan will detect it and start backing up to it. So I was wondering if there is out there somewhere some sort of script 
or a program or something that will run every time I switch Wi-Fi networks. Uh, so I can, so it will connect to my network drive automatically, so I don't have to worry about it anymore, or just shut down if they're if I'm on the wrong network, so to speak. Uh, thanks for considering my request, and don't get caught. Thanks, Mike. We will try not to. We will endeavor to do our best. So I have a similar need for a different reason, Mike. Uh, and that is, and I, I suppose on my laptop, I could, I, I, I could imp- implement this, but I haven't. Uh, but on my iMac in the office, when it goes to sleep, uh, oftentimes when it wakes up, it doesn't remount the network drives that I have. And I have a lot of them and it's a pain in the neck to have to go and, oh yeah, I got to remount and you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, I found something called control plane and we've talked about control plane in different ways before it used to be, uh, it was born out of what was called Marco Polo developed by someone else. But essentially what it is, is it is a rule based trigger, uh, program. So you tell it when conditions A, B or C are met or A, B and C or A and B or C. I mean, you can get very complex when these set of conditions are met, perform the following actions. And uh, for me, I have it with my iMac. It's actually pretty straightforward. I say when it wakes up, go and wait 10 seconds and then go and mount these three network drives. And it works flawlessly. Took a little bit of doing to set up as a lot of these rule-based things do. But uh, but once I got it right, I haven't thought about it in months. In fact, I hadn't thought about it until Mike's question came in. So I, I consider that a success. Now for Mike, simply waking up is not what you want to set as your trigger. But there's lots of different things you can set. And, and you just need to find something that gives the program it has um what is it called uh thresholds or certainty percentages where it's fairly certain that yep these triggers mean we're where i think we are and and so you can have a trigger set by your ip address so if you get the same ip address every time at home uh then that's one thing it can also say when it sees a wi-fi network of a certain name that's a that's a trigger or a certain printer is available on the network. That's a trigger. And that can actually pretty, be pretty cool because you can have your laptop set to automatically switch itself with control plane to that being the default printer or another being the default printer. So you don't have to think, right? Uh, but that th- these are the kind of things that, uh, that that you can set. And then and then obviously the actions are all, all sorts of things. And mounting a drive is one of those actions that you can do. It It's certainly a geeky tool, control plane is. So... Um, I'm not, uh, it, it's not the kind of thing it took me a little while to kind of get through it and sort of get into its head. It's, it, it's not the most intuitive thing. You've got to dig in and look at some examples and, and, and mess with it a little bit, but it's, it's not impossible. Uh, uh, it's just, it, it, it like, like a lot of apps sometimes, you know, you, you need to get into its headspace as opposed to it getting into yours. And that's how, that's how control plane is. But, uh, but once you're in there, it's, it's actually pretty straightforward. So uh, looking at examples helps, and they have some examples on their website. It's at controlplaneapp.com. We'll put that in the show notes. It's good stuff. Thoughts, John? Or time to move on? Yes. Well, both. <laughs> well, my one thought here is that actually, you know, I did this once in the past, Dave. Um, you may want to check out, at least to create the action that does this, um, Automator. 
And actually, I did this once. So it was kind of a wacky solution or something, but I was able to pull it off here. So actually, if you go to Automator, and you can create an Automator application, uh, if you go to the File and Folders category, there's yeah. then a Connect to Servers option. So if you'd like to create a tiny little program that'll mount a server. Yeah, but that's not going to... Automator won't do it automatically when your computer connects to I, your I understand. Okay. I'm just saying to okay. create the action to do that. And then you would use a tool like you're saying. What I'm saying is that this could, will develop a little application for you that will mount the network drive. So that's true. Too. Yeah, I mean, Control Plane will mount... You don't need a separate app. Control Plane oh, okay. will, will mount the drive right in there. There's all kinds of actions you can do in mounting drives is one of them. But you're right. You could, you could, if you wanted to create the action separately with automator, there's no reason you couldn't. And then just tell control plane, go run that too. Yeah. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. Work, it would work fine. Yeah. Yeah. Raptor in the chat room is asking, will this work to mount my Drobo shares? Absolutely. That's what I do here is I have it mount some of the shares from the Drobo and some of the shares from the disc station. And that way that stuff's just always available to me and I never need to think about it. So you want to take us to Greg, John? Yes, I hope I got this one here. Let right. get Greg, Greg, where is Greg? Here is Greg. <laughs> okay, Greg says, I've got a strange problem with my early 2008 MacBook Pro. Oh, well, that's interesting because that's the exact same machine we have, Dave. That's right. My I daughter it, has. Oh, but, well, yeah. he says, I believe it's the same model you both used to have. No, we still have them. Though that may change for me. <laughs> when I plug in a set of headphones, my audio output changes from internal speakers to digital out. And system preferences tells me the selected device has no output control. I then get no audio through the headphones. It's like it thinks there's an optical output device plugged in when actually it's analog. I've tried resetting the PRAM and SMC. I've also tried deleting library preferences, com.apple.audio dot audio midi setup dot p list and rebooted i tried creating a new user and logging in but still no joy whenever i plug in a set of headphones it switches to digital out i don't see the headphone jack glowing red and when the headphones are unplugged i get audio through the built-in speakers can you help yes i think i can really well i think what's happening dave is a variation on uh, i actually had this happen a number of years ago where because I, I have so a computer these, i have a computer that's stuck in this mode with the red light pointing out of it and and cannot be fixed oh well uh, or maybe, well, it, maybe can. it could be yeah well the thing is i had this problem once so i noticed this one time i was traveling with uh with my machine Let, let's explain what's point, going on here all right what's going on is that all right so the thing is the uh audio output jack on this machine and i think on pretty much any apple device will support two types of output not not so apple device is, but but macbook pros yes the ipad well, doesn't no, do I mean, this the, the ipad and the iphone don't uh, uh, have right output. but the apple tv does and the airport yes. does yes. okay many apple devices that have audio output can output audio in one of two formats so one is analog um which is you know electrical pulses if you will. Yeah. Uh, and that has a certain, uh, and the jack that does that, or the, the tip, when you, when you plug it into the jack, the, the form of that uh, will mesh with the, the proper uh, contacts yeah. in the connector, and everything's great. Now, there's another type of audio that you can output, and this is digital or optical. Now, how does the jack know what's plugged in well that's because the 
form factor of a digital audio connector is different in that for, from if you compare the two, I believe it's both a little wider, Dave, and a little longer. It's certainly longer. I don't know if it's wider or not, but but yes, it's it's definitely longer. But what happens is that if you plug in an audio connector, what happens is that the jack at some point will detect this because again, it's either a little wider or a little longer, and it will switch into digital audio output mode. Yeah, there's a now, there's a little um, there's a little sensor at the back of the jack inside the MacBook Pro and 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 the Apple TV, and when you push past that, it opens a little door, and then that turns on the the optical connector. Uh, and in theory, when you pull it out and in, in Greg's case, it's true in mine, it's not that that door is supposed to close and then it goes back to built in speakers mode. But it seems like for Greg, what's happening is when he puts in even a headphone connector, for whatever reason, it's triggering that optical uh, gate to open, which may mean there's something stuck down in there for him that's forcing that gate open. Yes. And that is, so I'll tell you when I had the problem where it was stuck on Dave, and it sounds like you have that problem as well. Mm -hmm. I did a bit of research online and I was able to solve the problem. The way you solve the problem is you take a non-conductive device. Like like a a toothpick. toothpick. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And you fish around in there. And what'll happen is that, yeah. So I, I think in my case, there was either some, something in there that, that, engaged the optical thing and left it on. And by fishing around in there with a toothpick, and you want to make sure again, it's something non-conductive because you don't want to short something out. Right. Is that I fished around in there and eventually the red light went off. So whatever, so either it was stuck or I dislodged whatever was in there engaging this optical out switch. I suspect he has something similar going on and that there's something stuck in there. And yeah. it, it, and so what's happening is that maybe, when he maybe plugs for in, him, compressed air would be the answer, right? To try and blow whatever that is out. Perhaps or again, fish around with something non-conductive. Yeah. I don't think it can hurt. It can only help. And in my case, it actually did, you know, unstick it. So what I think is happening is because there's something stuck in there, because there's something stuck in there, when he puts in the uh, analog jack, it pushes that whatever stuck in there and opens that little door. And puts it into optical mode. I, I will warn you, though, Greg, I, I, I disagree with John on one minor point, which may for you be a major point. Okay. Well, and that's that fishing around in there can cause a problem because you are you have a half what I will call a half functioning jack in that when nothing's plugged in, you do get sound out of your internal speakers. Now, with the one of the machines I have here that's stuck in this optical mode all the time. I get no sound out of the speakers at all. I have to use USB sound or optical sound because it's happily stuck in the optical mode. So by fishing around in there, you may well get that connector stuck permanently, not just half the time. And so be beware that that might well happen if as you go fishing around in there. So there you go. Okay. Yeah. Um, looking in our chat room. Yeah. Someone else said, uh, take a paper clip. Uh, again, I don't know if I'd use something conductive, but yeah. uh, the, they said they've used a paper clip that will also release that, that little uh, jack. Now, the other option, though, it, it's going to be expensive, well, uh, more expensive than a paper clip. <laughs> <laughs> now, it could be that that jack is damaged. Now, I was not able to find a source for that jack itself, Dave. Okay. But what I did find, at least for this model machine, is that um, I fix it. You can purchase from them. 
So so this jack is on something huh. that what's what's known as the left IO left IO board. And that contains that jack, and you can get that from iFixit for $119.95. Are you sure? I'm looking yes. at the picture of the, Oh yeah, there it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. You're right. You're right. So um now it may not be for, be for everybody. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, and again, I, I I couldn't find a source for just that jack. I mean, that's the other solution is no, you find a source for that jack and it's you surface solder, mount solder, solder on a new one. Yeah, right. Yeah, oh, yeah. well, then you don't want to do that. No. So <laughs> if you can, it, it, so if you want to fix it yourself, it could be that the yeah that the jack is shot and, yep. and you're not going to be able to fix it, or it's damaged beyond repair. In this case, that that would be the the other option. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah, it took me a while to find that. I was like, where? Because <laughs> they have an awesome parts list, but some, but they didn't have a part audio output jack. And I'm like, well, where is it? So I we have a second question that I did not realize this was true. So I may have misled our uh, listener in my <sighs> initial answer, but we'll we'll let Mike play his, his uh, I'll play Mike's question. Here we go. Hey, John and Dave, this is Mike from Newburyport, Massachusetts, a uh, long-time listener. I've sent in a few queries that you guys have always answered very geekily. Thank you very much for the podcast. It's fantastic. My question is, is I have a second-generation Apple TV, um, and I also have a first-generation one. Uh, but anyway, the second-generation one, uh, I have a sound bar, you know, one of those long speakers, um, and I do not have any external audio ports on my TV, so I can't plug it into that. And I used to have it plugged into my first-generation Apple TV so I could get sound through it. But unfortunately, the second-generation Apple TV does not have any audio out. Um, so I, I don't know how to get sound to the speakers uh, from my Apple TV. I also have a set of Bluetooth speakers. Um, I can't think of a brand right now, but anyway, it's a a small woofer with a couple of satellites uh, that I do use, that I run for my iOS devices, either my iPhone or my iPad. you know, and you just go in and you connect to it via Bluetooth and it plays things from whatever app you happen to be using. Uh, and I was thinking, is there a way to connect to those set of speakers from my Apple TV? Uh, there's also a little dongle that you could put in a USB port, like on your laptop or whatever, um, to connect to those speakers. So I, I have these speakers, both the bar with the physical wire and the Bluetooth version of the other speakers. And there's got to be a way to get sound out of my Apple TV to these speakers without adding any additional hardware. Right? No, I don't think so. But there is a way to do it by adding a cheap little bit of hardware. So, um, the Apple TV to make a minor correction to the previous uh, to something that you, you said, John, the Apple TV has an optical output port, but it does not have the combined optical or analog output port. Right. And if it did, I think that okay. might I think that might help our our friend Mike here. Um, but if you need to get audio from an Apple TV 
So audio comes out of Apple TV in two ways. Number one is via this, what's called a toss link port um, or an SPDIF port. Uh, it, it's, it's that light cable connector and your sound bar might even have one of these uh, on it. And so you might just be able to go from optical audio out from that right into your sound bar. But if you can't do that, the audio also comes out of your Apple TV through the HDMI port. That's how the, uh, that's how HDMI works. It sends video and digital audio out that port, but you need to get it from potentially you need to get it from HDMI to regular uh, or not regular, but analog stereo audio. And I might have the solution for you. I, I happen to stumble onto this almost accidentally, but, uh, but that's okay. Right. Uh, I needed a, a um, I, my TV only has one HDMI input because it's a it's a plasma TV, but it's old. It's I think six years old now, almost seven years old, and and so I needed to get a way of I needed to have a way of of taking all my HDMI devices and routing them to the TV. So uh, of course, John, I went to Monoprice because that's what you and I do when we need crazy devices like this and and or cables to connect them, and uh, and Monoprice delivered. Uh, I mean, they delivered after a couple of days when I placed my order, but, uh, but what I bought was a four by one HDMI switcher, but it also happens to have a audio breakout box in it for, for, for lack of a better, uh, description. So when you, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, when you plug your HDMI ports into this. It has an out. It has several outputs. One of the outputs is an HDMI output over which it sends all the audio. It also has one of these optical toss link outputs. It also has an analog stereo output, and it's got a uh, a digital coaxial uh, output as well. So even if you just had one device plugged into this, it would still break out the audio to the stereo. And this might solve your problem because you could run all your HDMI devices into this and then have one output going to your sound bar. And that might solve your problem. And, uh, and I think this thing was relatively cheap. I mean, I think I bought it for 40, <laughs> 40 bucks or something. Uh, the only complaint that I have in all the review, I've said this before on the show, uh, you also are going to need about four inches of black electrical tape because the lights on the front of this thing will burn your retinas. Um, so you put the black electrical tape over it and you'll still be able to see the lights through the black electrical tape. They are that bright, but, uh, but otherwise it's, it's brilliant and, uh, and I, it, it just works. So, so there you go. That's my, that's my two cents for you there, Mike. Huh? Hopefully that helps. No, that's awesome. That was actually the direction I was thinking of taking. I'm like, well, the audio is coming out of the HDMI. Can you pull it from that? And- yep. You can. You can. Yeah. Now, you know, that's very interesting. I just assumed that the Apple TV, because the, the thing is, the airport uh, express has an analog slash digital sound output port. I just assumed the Apple TV did, but it's only digital. I only digital. Weird. Right. 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 So, yeah, it's interesting. Now, you do have to with this device, the device comes, the monoprice device comes with a little remote. And you need to tell it whether you want it sending the audio and you just do it by tapping a button, but whether the audio is going to go out, you know, the analog stereo or the digital, but that, I mean, that's easy that you just tap a button. And once you set it, it's like Ronco set it and forget it. It, rem- it remembers it's setting even when it turns off and, and all that good stuff. So, uh, so yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's good. It's good. It's, um, 
it's exactly what uh, what what I what I want, and I think what Mike wants, and perhaps hopefully it helps other listeners too. John, I know time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, I was going to say, I just uh, all of a sudden I looked at the clock and I'm like, oh my I gosh, know. we're over an hour. I know, I know. So even though we got a boatload of questions, we'll just have to save it for, for next time. Save it for next time? Absolutely. Yep. So, uh, yeah, we will be back here. I think next week we're doing the evening slot, the early evening slot, which would be Ooh. the, you know, 5, whatever, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Sunday uh, slot. I think that's how that's going to work for us next week, Joe. So I know you like that slot, so try to fit it in when we can. Right, that's good. That works. I like, for you next I like week? all. I like all the slots. Yeah, good. Okay, that's good. So, Dave. Yes. Even though we have a huge backlog and we're never going to get through it all, if you want to help with that, here's what you can do. You can send us more. And one place you can send it, Dave, is you can send it to feedback at macgeekab.com. John, you said feedback at macgeekab.com. You heard me right, brother. I said feedback at mechgeekab.com. And I will say, as of yesterday, uh, at about this time, it doesn't matter. As of at some point Friday or Saturday, we were 100% caught up with all the questions that had come in, I believe. So that that that's that's a good thing. In terms of getting you answers, obviously, they don't all make it to the show, nor would they ever. Uh, some of your questions just don't aren't aren't widespread enough for the show. But that, uh, that doesn't stop us from trying to go through all of them. So... <laughs> Right, uh, right. And if yeah, you got this rule, it, yeah, that's right. If you want to, uh, to we appreciate you being a listener, uh, and and that truly is enough. Uh, it, it helps us in so many ways. But if you want to go above and beyond, and I know some of you do, and we certainly appreciate that you do. Uh, we do have our premium program. You can learn about that at macgeekab.com. And uh, effectively what the pre or essentially what the premium program is, is it's a way for you to support us uh, if, in fact, you would like to. And as a return for that support, you get a couple of things. Uh, if you're an active premium member, you can send email to us at premium at MacGeekab.com. And we do make sure that stuff is addressed uh, with a priority uh, because you're helping us. You're going out of your way to help us keep the lights on. And, and we appreciate that. So uh, so that's one thing we can do for you. The other thing we can do for you is by uh, every for every hundred dollars that you contribute and you could do that all at once. You could do it over the course of two years. Uh, it, it it doesn't matter how you get there. Once you get there, uh, you are then qualified to receive the next round of uh, premium gifts that we uh, that we send out. And we just finished sending out one round. And uh, and actually, I think that round took us so long to get together because it was our first time and we just kind of had to learn the process that I think uh, the next round is probably coming sooner than than later. Uh, we might do it right after the first of the year so that uh, the next round gets out before we all head off to Macworld Expo and all that stuff. So, so uh, you can learn about that at MacGeekGab.com. You can also see the show notes at MacGeekGab.com. Uh, which we start crafting during the show with the help from the chat room. And then, John, you put a final touch on them and, uh, and push them out there. They're also available in our Mac Geekab app, which you can buy in the, uh, in the app store uh, if you'd like. What else, John? Where else can they find us? There's, I, I've lost track. No, I haven't. So there's this Facebook.com place that seems to change their privacy settings uh, almost daily now from what I hear. 
ignore all the messages you see from people telling you to change your privacy settings. Uh, most of them are go to Snopes.com. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I've seen some craziness lately. Oh, I whatever. Anyways, Facebook.com slash MacGeekAb, where you can see when the next episode will occur. And uh, you could also uh, post questions there if you like. Um, so that's one way, Dave. The, the other way, of course, is uh, the Twitters. You and I are... Uh, the, everybody's on the Twitter, I think. <laughs> Some of Even us Hector. Are. Hector the Bird is on Twitter. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and Facebook. I linked to it in the last uh, yeah. show notes. But yeah, on Twitter, he is Dave Hamilton. I am John F. Braun. The podcast is Mac Geek Gap, And the publication is Mac Observer. And I think that does it, right? Uh, you can you can join us, of course, when we do the show live at macgeekup.com slash stream. And if you have the app, you will get a notification that that is happening. And like John said, if you sign up on Facebook, you'll see when we post those events so that uh, so that you can plan your schedule to join us, which we love. It's great. Uh, yeah, we've got a slew more questions to go through, so we're looking forward to the next show already. And I know you guys are going to send in some great stuff. Plus... Who knows what's going to happen at the event this week? We probably have some of that stuff to uh, to talk about. Um, oh, on, events this week? Yeah, I. Oh, yeah, I'm probably oh, going to. Uh... Stupid. That was about the stupidest thing I've ever done. I, uh, I, I, I closed that window. I thought, oh, I'll be efficient and I'll start closing things up ahead of time this week. And uh, no, that there's nothing efficient right. about that. We're just going to have to do the show. All. We're just going to have to do it again. <laughs> There we go. We'll get that. As back. far as events, though, yes, and I will be popping into Photo Plus Expo. That's which is right, Javits Center. So uh, if you're in uh, near Manhattan and you're into photography, uh, it's a cool place to be. Maybe there you we go. can uh, hook up. All right. Yeah. Good. Let's do this. Uh, we would like to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast and also GetAppler.com. He converts this show and most of our other shows. I think he's missed one this year uh, earlier this month. Uh, he converts all those shows to AAC and adds all the chapters and the images and all that good stuff for us and for you. So that is uh, that's it's excellent. And I know you folks love it because when we don't send out on the on the rare opportunity or the rare occasion where we don't send out the uh, the chapterized version we hear about it so that tells me that you folks like the chapters which is a good thing all right uh and then we also want to thank cashfly c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you the podcast marketplace as we said includes bay uh bb edit from barebone software Text Expander, PDF Pen, PDF Pen Scan Plus from Smile, Gazelle.com, and of course, uh, Squarespace with the uh, coupon code MGG10. All through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. John, I know you're going to Photo Plus Expo. It's, it means you're going to have to get on the train and head into New York. Uh, I have a piece of advice for you, my friend, and, and it's really important that. Uh, yes. Yeah. It, don't, whatever you do, don't do anything I wouldn't do and don't get caught. Made up.